This is the Financial Freedom Series designed to show you how to cash flow your way to financial freedom. Brought to you by Lagos Financial. The road to financial freedom starts today. Welcome to the Financial Freedom Series. My name is Andrew Bean and I'm here with top mortgage broker and financial expert, Victor Lagos, founder of Lagos Financial. How are you, mate? I'm good, Andrew. How are you, mate? I'm fantastic, buddy. Super pumped to have you here with this new series, mate. How are you feeling? I'm excited. It's something that's been on my mind for a long time to help people with their finances prepare them for a mortgage, prepare them to buy property. All right, mate. So today we're actually kicking off a six-part series, a six-part financial freedom series that we have put together to help and educate investors on how to improve their borrowing capacity and making themselves look overall better to the bank, mate. And I know that you're the man to talk to for that. Yeah. Well, I've been in the game for close to 17 years now. So broker for eight years. So yeah, happy to be on, happy to help as much as I can. That's it, mate. And I guess like the way you need to look at it is also like the more debt you can take on, the more debt that actually cash flows, not debt that it puts you in a negative position, but puts you in a positive position, the more money and the more wealth you can actually make. So that's really the important piece on this. We want to be able to help investors and every single person to get into some kind of property, hopefully a commercial property that's cash flowing to basically find financial freedom because at the end of the day, that's why we're doing this. We're trying to get to financial freedom so we can choose what to do with our time instead of having to go to the nine to five. No, exactly. That's uh, why I started my own podcast because at the end of the day, people are going to get into debt and if they don't have the right help to use debt to propel them forward to financial freedom, it can actually put them backwards. That's it, mate. All right. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to clean up your act, how to make yourself look better in the bank's eyes in terms of like not spending so much money on incidental crap and making yourself really being able to have really good borrowing capacity. Because like we just said, the more debt you can take on the cash flows, the better position you're going to be to actually buy more property, the cash flows and to reach that financial goal. So mate, how many months prior to like applying for finance, would you start trying to clean up your act in terms of looking better for lending for the bank? Well, it depends on your goals. So if you're going to want to buy a property and you don't have a deposit, the sooner the better. It might take you 12 months to get there. So if you can start managing your money now to prepare you to apply for finance between say three months before you actually apply, at that point, your money should be working and you should be looking good, ready for a bank loan. So you think three months is enough or would you start possibly doing this when you start saving for that deposit? Like that could be like six, 12 months, 18 months, even 36 months out sometimes for these big monster deposits you need for commercial property. Yeah, look, if you just think about how much of a deposit you need and where you're starting from, you might need 12 to 18 months to get there. It depends on where you're starting from. If you're really bad with money and you've got a lot of debt, you want to start well in advance. I'd say 12 months, 18 months at least. So when you actually go through to apply for finance, will the bank just go through the statement that you give them or do they have access to be able to look beyond like the digital records or basically whatever they want to look at? Yeah, so at the moment, there's a thing that's coming out called open banking. It's not out yet, but while it's not, the bank will only have access to see the statements that you provide them. And for an application, they usually just want to see the account where you're salary gets paid to or your main transacting account. But say you get paid and you just transfer that money out the same day or the next day into another account, they're going to want to see that account too. But if it's just your main account, your bills get paid from there, but then you save in separate accounts, they're not going to ask about the other ones. So just look at that main one. And so this thing that's coming out, does that give them access to basically look through all of your bank records willy-nilly just like they'll be able to know that 11.50 on, on a Saturday night, I ordered McFlurry from Macca's on Uber Eats. Yeah, look, no one knows exactly what it's going to look like because open banking will allow you, say you're the borrower, to give permission for other banks to see all of your transactions. But more importantly, it's going to have a holistic view of money in, money out, and how much is your surplus, and then what's your affordability on that surplus. So 
it's got a potential to help a lot of people because it's true real-time data. And then that will then allow you to work out. I think it's going to go to a point where you're going to get interest rates and you know risk ratings based on that because it'll take a holistic picture. But we're not there yet. So right now, the way to navigate it to be ahead of the curve is to manage your money well. And that's why we started this podcast. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I did notice like it's probably happened for like probably the last three or four years or something. When you're looking at the your statement in your, your bank records, there's all different icons and stuff and little pictures to make it a lot more easier to understand. Is that for the bank to understand or is that for us to understand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely being sold to us. Like it's for us to categorize our expenses, right? The thing about managing money is that you're not going to figure out only looking backwards. There's a lot of apps that track your expenses. It can auto-categorize it. It can have these little icons that show you what you spend it on. But not until you have an understanding of how much money do you actually need between now and next payday can you actually get ahead. And that's where people get unstuck. Those apps don't show you that. Some of them do. They have predictive billing. But I personally use another app. It's called Timely Bills. There's a few out there. Yeah, there's been like Pocketbook and Money Brilliant. A lot of them get bought out by banks, but the one I've been using is Timely Bills. So that way you can actually see how much money, say you get paid today, and then between now and next payday, you've got rent, you've got electricity, you've got phone bill, all this stuff that has to come out. If you don't track that, you just see the paycheck. So say you get paid two grand, you're like, awesome, I've got two grand available. So then you go spend a grand. And then all these bills start coming out. It's like, whoops, I actually didn't have a grand to spend. I only had like 300 (laughs) bucks, right? So that's what the banking platforms are lacking. So that's why we have to be proactive to see. So once you know exactly what's going to come out between now and then, and you put money aside for your day-to-day spending in a separate account, ideally, then you can start investing the difference or you can have it down debt. That's how I did it. So is the timely build, is that a paid app or is that free? It's free. So you wow. have to manually put in. Yeah, it's really good. So you actually just put in the amount. It even has icons as well, by the way. Like, so you can select <laughs> the, the provider and say when it's due. And I've started putting everything in there, even like property expenses. So then I now know that if when a bill is due, how much it's going to be. And the good thing is in the app, you can actually tick it off when it's paid. So you just go tick, paid. And instead of getting a negative feeling, because this is what happens with people. They get a bill and they're like, oh, I'm going to pay a bill. But why are they feeling negative? They got a service for that, right? They just had internet for a month or they just had electricity for a month or three months. So why should they feel negative? It's because it's sent to them by email and then they didn't know it was coming. But if you know that it's due and you have to pay it, you have a little tick box. It's like a little dopamine hit. So you end up getting like a positive feeling to pay a bill. So yeah, yeah, that's where it really helps to recondition yourself. Yeah, I remember when my fiance and I, a long time ago, when we were saving for our principal place of residence, we obviously, we live in Sydney, uh, so we needed to save a fair chunk. And we got excited when we'd be able to like pay all our expenses. And then you saw like, okay, I can put away like three or four K this month. Sweet. Like we're going, you know, you start seeing it like build up and build up and build up. So it is quite exciting. But I think it's also one of those things that, Maybe with this app, like you have to keep your finger on the pulse. If you look at it every day, like something that you pay attention to every single day is front of mind and you're more likely to actually keep on going and keep on saving. Say you started a CrossFit gym. The first month is going to suck like so Mm -hmm. bad that after you've done it for like two months, you'll probably start seeing noticeable change in your body. And then you'll start like seeing abs or you'll start seeing a few muscles come up. And that's when you get more spurred on to do it. So I think the app, I mean, I'm definitely going to download that after this session because keeping your finger on the pulse, because I'm not sure how long or how many times a day or how many, how frequent people check their bank balances. But I do it pretty much every day because I'm already always like want to see progress. So this app might be a game changer for that. Yeah, look, it's helped me. I used a different app before, but I've been doing it for at least two and a half years, maybe even three years now. And that was a game changer for me because I always knew that I was going to have enough money for my bills when they're due. And then I knew what was left and I would transfer that money into other accounts. So then, you know, obviously the the word budget, people don't like that word budget. But if you know what your cost is to live like your groceries and having an account like you said you're married my wife and I had personal accounts that we would have our personal spending because 
you still got to have some freedom to spend money the way you want, but up to a certain limit, right? If you've got access yep. to a main account, you can easily overspend. So then it's like a, a weekly allowance. So then if I want to buy her flowers, she doesn't know I bought them, right? Yeah. Because yep. she doesn't have access to the account. If she wants to spend, buy something for me for my birthday, I won't know what she bought. So it's important to have that freedom as well up to a certain limit. And then you can adjust it as you go. That's the thing. People think that, oh, once I've set a budget, it's, it's stuck now. I can't live freely. The key is to be able to spend the way you want to spend and not feel poor, but still save up money. And then another layer to that, you have to automate it. Right? And we'll talk more about automation later. Yeah, well, I, I totally agree with that, like having a, a separate account or a bucket for spending. And I remember a little while ago, actually, it was quite a while ago when we were in our saving mode, they say like you put X amount away in that account and no matter what, you have to spend it. Even if you just spend it on the something, you just have to spend it. It has to go to zero every single month. So it feels like you're not holding cool. back. Yeah. You're not feeling like you're missing out. So you can still go out there and you can go have a really nice night or you can go spend $100 on a big night out with your mates and stuff like that and not feel bad about it. Yeah. But I think the key is that you can do what you want with it. It's guilt-free spending. So some people want to put some yeah. money on crypto. That's just what they enjoy doing. But you don't want to have access to all your savings to do that. But if you've got a personal account that you're putting away 50 bucks or $100 a week or whatever and you build that up and you can go invest in different little things, you can if you want. Or if you want to pay back your joint debt or if you want to add it to your combined savings, you can. But at least it's your choice and you've got to have that guilt-free spending as well. Yeah, I did notice that Bitcoin has actually gone up. Not that I have anything invested in Bitcoin, but I do have a bit of a paper trading for fun. And I bought us <laughs> some Bitcoin at like, I think it was like 17,000 US and now it's, you know, up a little bit. So not a good investment yeah. in my mind, but still just for fun. No, look, I used to put money into crypto and I don't anymore. And, and you know, you talked about earlier about using your net banking account every day, checking it. Well, when you've got a crypto or multiple crypto wallets and you're seeing the news and you're seeing all these updates on YouTube because you're following those people, <laughs> they're always talking about the price. So what it does is it takes you on an emotional roller coaster. Yep. So that's when I realized I don't want to invest in it anymore because it's going up and down and it's taking all of my attention and my emotions with it. And it's not stable and it's not income producing. Yep. Of course, there's that's things right. like DeFi and whatnot. But to keep it simple, when you invest in property, you're leveraging, you're borrowing, you're, you're contributing your savings, but you're, it's an income producing asset and you're getting capital growth if you invest well as well. So yeah, well, that's the big sense. issue with like uh, stocks and shares and crypto and stuff like that is it's so liquid that you can make a decision on an emotion straight away. Whereas with property, if you decide to sell a property, that's a good like 30, 60 days potentially and you're committed. There's many, many different choices you have to make along the way to actually yeah. sell a property. You know, like I want to sell it. Okay, I've got to find a, an agent. I've got to find a seller. I've got to do all this kind of stuff. So there's like, I've got to have a solicitor. Like there's lots of little mini choices and selections that you have to make so you can actually mm -hmm. sell that property. It's not just a click of a button. But in future, if you use like NFTs for like uh, property, which people are starting to do where you like sectionalize it or you like, you basically can buy into a property through using an NFT, it might become more liquid like that. And then also with the way that the conveyancing can be done online even now or like in future through the blockchain potentially, it could unfortunately become more liquid. So it could become a more of an emotional asset as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's already emotional as it is, right? For people that, you know... Residential, yeah. yeah. Residential, Buying, yeah, exactly. Yeah, selling, so, I guess. But you're right. If they could buy and sell you know, the same day, oh man, I, I don't know. It would be hard because there's people living in there, right? There's going to be rules around that. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about putting together some kind of how to use app, something like that, or how to use Timely Build, and then we can set that up as a free giveaway for the listeners? What do you reckon? Happy to do that, actually. I can do some uh, screenshots and yeah. you know, show you how to utilize how to the tool up. better. Yeah. 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 It's not too difficult. Give it a go. But yeah, for sure. We can do that for the listeners because it has really change the way I look at money. It's given me a, a positive feeling when I pay bills. I always have enough. And even if you don't, like say you you had to, you know, you got investment property and there's not enough money that month because you had to fix the uh, water heater like you mentioned, right? But yeah. of course you now you know that you need to move money into that account, right? Yeah. Because you've got something due. 
But if you didn't monitor it and you're relying just on the cash flow on the property to pay all the costs, you could easily fall in arrears. And if you're preparing yourself for future finance, one of the things you never want to have on any of your accounts is arrears or late payment yep. fees. Those are the things that banks, as soon as they see that, they don't want to touch you. I mean, yep, yes, they so want an explanation. Sometimes things do happen like admin issues. But if you don't move regularly, you don't put your money in the right account and you're late on things, especially financial commitments like loans and credit cards and whatnot, forget about it. You shouldn't be applying for a loan. You're not ready. So you're saying that any kind of late fee. So I actually have had a few times where like, because we have like different accounts, especially in offset accounts and stuff where we'll have like your Medibank or like something like that, your private health cover coming out of. And for some reason, it's like a couple of dollars short and it, it goes to a late payment or something like that. Yep. I know that's bad. What ramifications like realistically does that have? It depends on what you're applying for and the bank that's looking at it. So some banks actually don't want to see your bank statement. So about two or three years ago, that's all they wanted to see. There was this thing about expenses. And I don't know if you followed this. There was a court case with Westpac and ASIC. I think it was APRA maybe. And it was about, they called like the Shiraz thing. Basically saying that people can adjust their living expenses when they commit to a property, right? Or a mortgage. So then they started to hone back on that because it adds more workload to the bank to constantly check bank statements and go through mm. line by line. So if you go to a bank that doesn't ask for them and your expenses are what you're declaring are reasonable for your household, then yeah, a late fee, they won't even know it exists. But if you're going to the same bank that that late fee was charged from, of course they're going to see it. They're going to ask about it. And if it's a logical reason, like I had money on the other account, just forgot to transfer it as a one-off, it's fine. We just got to cover it off in commentary. But if it's every month, and yeah. you're always late and you're constantly putting money from another account or you're borrowing from somewhere else, then yeah, it's a red flag. It means like if you can't even stay on top of your, your private health insurance, how are you going to stay on top of a mortgage payment? Yeah, it's just because um, it doesn't happen often, but it's happened probably like three times in the last 10 years. So like it, it has happened yeah. and it's just yeah. purely and because like for some reason, we because we, you split up the money in different buckets, like you were saying, yeah. and for some reason, that's been overdrawn like on one occasion. I'm like, oh my God, like this better not screw my, my whole credit rating. I'm not going <laughs> to lose my whole career on one transfer <laughs> for private health insurance. Yeah. Nah, look, to be honest, <laughs> it's not going to, and I think timely bills will help you a lot with that because that, <laughs> that only happens because you forgot that that was due and you didn't have enough money, even if it's $2 difference. And that's what happens when you allocate money into different buckets, into other bank accounts, you need to make sure that that main account where all your bills get taken out from always has enough to cover what's due. So sometimes you get excited, you know, I want to put four grand in savings, like awesome. It's so exciting. I got four grand in this account, but then, you know, 500 of that you probably should have left because you got yeah. you know, rego due. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So. If you have ever tried to run numbers in your cash flow calculator, you'll know how important it is to have the right inputs. Stamp duty alone can vary wildly depending on what state you are buying in. That's why you need to know the exact figure. Lagos Financial have a full suite of calculators ready for you to start crunching your numbers today. Go check out your borrowing power, budgeting, income tax, refinance calculators, repayment calculators, or my personal favorite, the stamp duty calculator, just to name a few. Go to lagosfinancial.com.au. That's L-A-G-O-S financial.com.au to start using these calculators today. So, mate, like in terms of charges on your account, what are the worst types of charges you can start putting on your account? Apart from late fees, I've already touched on that. But things yeah. like, what does the bank absolutely not want to see you spending your money on? Okay, I'll tell you a few. One is gambling. So, if they can see you're going to the casino, TAB, online gambling, even crypto. Some of them do see crypto as gambling. That's a red flag for sure. Another one, which is like an instant decline would be payday loans, cash converters and you know these pawn shops and stuff that they they give oh, you okay. give you finance here. Yeah, that that's anyone who needs that type of finance means that they can't live within their means. So they're always chasing the tail. Not even living paycheck to paycheck. 
because that paycheck doesn't get them to the next one. They need to get a loan to cover them to, to the next paycheck. So yeah, that's an, a no-go. Believe it or not, excess alcohol. So if someone's spending too much on alcohol, that's also a red flag. You can drink as much as you want. But I had a customer that was legitimately buying wines through COVID. He was collecting them. That yeah. flagged and you know, I made some commentary about it and they were fine. If someone's going to the pub all the time, well, it's a pattern and they know that if you're going to keep spending that much, you can't say you're, you're going to drop that because you're probably um, an alcoholic potentially. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm hearing is buy your alcohol from Aldi to mask what you're actually buying. That's what I'm hearing. That's not what I said, but yeah, that's <laughs> probably, probably a good strategy. <laughs> you're right. It's not a separate store like Liquorland or, or whatnot. It's in the same uh, complex. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So, mate, what are the good transactions? What do they actually want to see you doing? Like, how do we boost the red box or the ticks in our box? Okay. So, what they're really just looking for more than anything is that your pay is consistent. So, they want to see your pay matches the amount on your pay slip and the date that you get paid is the same date you got paid on the pay slip. And the amount doesn't drop, right? Because someone might be permanent, but then all of a sudden, in the last three months, their pay has gone down and it's gone up. Well, that's a sign that you might be casual or that you've got, there's no consistency in your pay. So that's the number one thing they're looking for to verify that you actually get paid the amount that you've, that you've declared on your pay slip. Second thing is they want to see that the expenses that you've declared for your outgoing costs, your day-to-day living expenses, especially the fixed costs, like we talked about bills. People guess a lot of stuff, but if you're way off, they're going to compare that. So if you say you spend $100 on private health insurance, but you're actually spending 400 and they see that in your, in your transactions, they're going to ask the question. If you say I only spend 300 bucks on childcare and they see 1500 that month, well, that's a, that they're going to question that. So they're just looking for consistency from what you declare and what documents you provide. All the stuff about going to the grocery store or going out to dinner, they don't really care about that because let's face it, like you could have a big event, it's a birthday, it's an anniversary and you can spend a lot that month, but that doesn't mean you can do it every month. So they're logical, right? They're not going to say, oh, look, they spent you know, $500 on dinner. Let's account for that every month. Well, that's just that month. So it's more the fixed cost. And then they're also looking for debts that you, that you may not have disclosed in your financial statement, your financial position. If you say you don't have credit cards and all of a sudden there's a credit card payment, well, what's that? Or you, you didn't tell you've got you know, buy now, pay later, after pay or zip pay. So things like that. But as long as your pay is coming in and as long as you're also not going in the negative, so overdrawing the account, so there's always some money left, then you're good. Yeah, cool. So with that Timely app, can you actually share that with your partner as well? Because it's obviously a big thing. It's not just one person like working the finances. It's usually a team of people like a husband and wife. I'm sure there is a paid version and I'm sure you can do a lot more with it. I just oh, use okay. it myself just to manage what the bills are. So it doesn't manage my expenses. That is something that I need to figure out. And I can tell you the strategy that my wife and I did for that because everyone's got their own way of managing their discretionary spend. And you can share your story, how, how you guys figured it out. But my wife and I actually went to a park and we printed out three months of bank statements and we brought a highlighter and we, we, we brought a pen and we started to understand how much have we spent in the last three months on going out, whether it's birthday party or dinner or whatever. Like that was kind of a wake-up call, right? Just to see, wow, we've actually spent that much in the last three months and you know, average it out per month. And then we decided how much do we want to spend? And then that was the amount that we committed to spend for going out together. So we had a joint account for going out. And then we worked out our individual amount and how much we want to have every single week for ourselves. And to be honest with you, it wasn't much. It was like 50 bucks a week. It wasn't much. We had to adjust that sometimes, you know, borrow money from a different account. But then we set up separate bank accounts. So then on payday, money will go to joint going out account. Money will go to the grocery account. Money will go to our individual spending account. And more importantly, and this is what you talked about earlier, we'd have a savings account. When we stuck to this set budget and we... Obviously, our main account, which is what we talked about, the bills coming out of that, there's always enough money to cover the bills, but everything else got dispersed into other accounts. So yep. then we'd watch our savings go up and up. So then what happened was my wife would get a pay rise and I'd get a pay rise, but all that would change in our budget is us saving more now because all the expending is the same. And there's something I read a while ago saying that wealthy people earn more but spend the same, whereas everyone else 
earns more and spends more, right? Mm. That's the trap that people fall under. They're making more money, but they start living a lavish lifestyle. But if you're saving more as you earn more, then you can buy property or you can invest in other, other things. It's like keeping up with the Joneses. Like uh, you have lifestyle creep. That's what they call it. You know, you see everyone in, in a nice car, not potentially in a nice house, but like renting a nice house. And you think, oh, I need that nice car too. And we are, <laughs> I am literally about to upgrade my car because we have children and more room <laughs> is required after five years of having kids. So definitely looking into a new car. But it's just like, it's like that. It's like lifestyle creep. And you yep. really got to uh, watch out for that. And it's actually, Robert Kiyosaki actually talks about this where you pay yourself first. So like if you're working like 38 hours a week, you don't want to just be working to pay other people. You actually want to pay yourself. He would famously pay himself first and then not have enough money for his bills. He'd put himself in a position where he had to work out how to figure out like to make more money. So unless he made more money, he wasn't going to be able to pay this bill. But the most important thing was paying himself first into that savings account. No, I actually, I've read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And for me, the thing that stuck out was building your, your assets and reducing your liabilities and building yep. the income producing assets. So not things like cars or, or your home, which are the cars are depreciating an asset. Of course, it's not income generating and your home, it's not tax deductible. It's not income generating. So yeah, it's a liability because um, you're paying for it's a it unless someone else Correct. is paying for it and paying for itself. Yeah, I Correct. agree. It's a cost, right? It gives you shelter. So that's the benefit, but... It's yep. costing you money every single month. And if the rates go up, that's another cost. But one thing I wanted to touch on, which also helped me because it's it's a psychology thing as well, right? What people don't realize is they end up spending more than what they earn when they've got access to credit, like credit cards, buy now, pay later, or even payday loans if they've gone down that path. So they end up spending more than they earn. So that doing this money management that we talked about is so that you can spend less than you earn and invest the difference or save the difference. But the way to, that I understood it, that helped me, was every time you spend on credit, you're actually stealing from your future self. Say you want to buy a new car and you take out a car loan, 30 grand, 40 grand, whatever. That feeling of driving a new car feels great, but it doesn't last. It might last a few weeks. As soon as a car gets dirty, kids vomit on the seat or you know you put a dog they in do. the back or they do. whatever it is it doesn't <laughs> give you that same feeling anymore your past self got to enjoy the feeling of that brand new car but your future self is the one paying for it right your future self is the one like oh, now i've got to pay for this but you're the one that got to enjoy it not me now it's just a car i'm just getting from a to b but a car's okay because obviously it's something that you need for the family and whatnot but i'm just talking about in general like if you bought yourself a um I don't know what a Rolex what or something things. crazy like that. Yeah, Rolex, just, a, yeah. just a flash, you know, you just uh, you something know, flash, the yeah. bling to, to to build up your Instagram account. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and it's uh, an instant gratification, right? They feel good yeah. then in the moment, but even the Rolex won't feel that good after a while because you might scratch it and you don't want to wear it anymore, right? Because <laughs> you don't want to damage it. <laughs> so then, if you flip it on its head and say, you know what, I do want a Rolex. It's important to me, but I'm not going to borrow the money to get it. I'm going to save for it. So you manage your money the same way we talked about. And then you start putting away money every week. And you can set up a bank account. Like the good thing about Australia is bank accounts are free. You can have multiple accounts that don't charge you. Overseas in Europe, they charge you monthly fees for every bank account you've got. Whereas here, you can have like seven, eight sub accounts with no fees. And you can literally call it a Rolex account if you wanted to relabel it. And you can put Mm. away even 100 bucks a week or whatever it is that you can afford to put aside every week. So you get a positive feeling because you see it grow, right? And then eventually you have that, whatever it costs, say it's 10 grand to buy the watch. You eventually get the 10 grand and you go buy it outright. So now you have a positive feeling throughout the whole process because you were saving. You get the positive feeling because you just bought it and you saved it to get it there. You get to carry that feeling because you now know that you worked and you put money aside to get that watch and you get to wear it the rest of your life with no debt tied to it. Yeah. So you're giving to your future self by saving. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think about saving? So you're saving for an asset, right? Or you're saving for something like a watch or a car or something like that. But you keep on saving and saving and saving, but you buy a cash flowing asset that then you can take out a loan and then that buys the car and pays for the car. So you have the asset and then you also have the car and then that actually the asset pays for itself over time. So you have 
both of those things. And one of them is obviously producing cash flow, producing potential capital growth in the future. Obviously, the car is not going to do anything for you except for make you feel good and get you from A to B. It's going to depreciate over time. But that's a very common way to do it too. What do you think of that way? So you're saying that you get the property first and it goes up in yeah. value and then you buy a car with the with no, the No, no, no. So equity? only I'm only talking about like cash flowing real estate like commercial property. So you're saving yeah. and saving and instead of dumping the money, say it's a really expensive car. So it's like a $300,000 car like a, a Lambo or something like that. So you're saving up that money, but instead of buying a Lambo first, you buy a warehouse and that warehouse is paying you $60,000 a year. And then you can take out a car loan because the car loan is only $40,000 a year. So you're net $20,000. The property is paying itself off and it's paying for you to have that car, car as well. So you get best of both worlds. That's an awesome strategy because while it's paying for itself as well, you're getting the growth, right? Of course, it's speculation. I understand that you can't guarantee growth when you're investing in property. But say you did invest in a good area and if you just look at stats and, and whatnot in that area and it's grown over time, the longer you hold a property. So you're using the bank's money to get you that asset. So whether it's 600 grand or whatnot. So that's just there going up in value. The tenant's paying you the rent that's covering the, the cost, which is just the mortgage because they're paying the rent and they're also paying the outgoings directly. And if there's still enough money that you can now fund the car as well, right? So it's paying the car loan repayment. Now, all of a sudden, you've made your initial contribution or your initial savings work so much harder for you. That's what you call yeah. leverage. So you've, you've leveraged other people's money to help you build your wealth and give you lifestyle at the same time. So I think that's, yeah, if anyone can figure out how to do that or they've got enough money aside to buy an asset that's going to generate that much, hats off to them. Yeah, that's it. I mean, so, I mean, the only way that you can really, uh, you know, guarantee capital growth is by force appreciation on commercial property where you're increasing the income. So, that's really the only way. And that's that's the only way I think. I never think of like the market going to make me or like mm-hmm. speculating on the markets or capital growth. It's how can I force income onto this property to guarantee the value going up? So, that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. And that's something that you help a lot of your, your clients with. Yeah, that's to- right. Look for value-add strategies. And I think that's important before you buy a property or commit to something is to know what are the value-add strategies that you can implement as soon as you own that. So you can already predict and project your money based on that future income. And then, of course, like you said, you know that that property is going to be a higher value for that reason. So, yeah, it's not based on the market itself. It's just based on the rent. Yeah, no speculation there. So, mate, in terms of like, say you do want to like buy some fast food or you want to go out and buy a, a new outfit or something like that, would you recommend potentially drawing that money out from the bank, actually drawing money out? And so you would pay that with cash. So there's no like digital record of what you've bought for the bank to like scrutinize. I'd say it probably doesn't make a difference okay. because if you take the money as cash and then go spend it on clothes, the bank would just see it as an expense, right? And if you just spent it on clothes, they're just going to see it as an expense. So it's not like it actually lets them see it differently. If anything, if they see too many cash withdrawals, that might raise a, a flag because they don't know what it's spent, especially if it's large amounts. If it's a couple hundred bucks here and there, it's fine. But if you're taking out two grand every single paycheck and there's no record of how you spend your money, it's going to raise a flag if the bank sees that because they're going to, not going to un- understand how do you spend your money. Yeah, Another thing enough. I didn't touch on is that there's a requirement for brokers and for banks to report, I think it's under the AML Act, AML-CTF, so anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism. That's something that they always look and they've got um, algorithms and things that actually check accounts. So if, if it's money coming in and money going out and being moved to multiple accounts, that's a red flag. Even for me as a broker, if I see something like that. so Yeah, fair enough. While we're on the topic of creating like a bit of a history of like actually using credit, is it ever a good idea to take out a credit card just to get the credit history up even though you're not going to use it much? Like, Because if you never had a credit card, you never borrowed any money, how do they look at you differently? Like, How does that change like what they want to do? Because I guess in their eyes, you're kind of, what have you been doing? Just sitting in a corner, just eating... <laughs> you know, Fruit Loops or something. <laughs> it's 
It's funny you say that. Not the Fruit Loops a bit. That is funny. But <laughs> the funny thing is about the, the credit file. So there are some people who have never taken out any debt at all. And they get to their late 20s. And then they realize, you know what? I've saved up some money. Now I want to actually buy a house or a property for investment. If they've never had a credit file, then it can flag to the bank. And they'll ask the question like, how is this person 28 years old and they don't have a credit file? It doesn't mean they won't approve it. It just means that we've got to explain it because it's it, yep. you've got no credit score. And Australia has moved on to comprehensive credit reporting or positive credit reporting, they call it in America. And that's where they give you a score based on you staying on time for all your debts. So they keep a record of that. that you can actually see if you're late on any repayments. Whereas before, you only used to keep a record if you were defaulted, for example. Yep. So having a credit file does help because you have a credit score. And if you've got a credit score of over... 800, you're pretty much in the top tier of a borrower. If you're below 600, there's some negative stuff on there. If you never had a file, then yeah, I don't even know what your score will be to start with. What I would say is it doesn't have to be a credit card. It can be like, you know, zip money or something like that with a thousand dollar limit. It can even be a phone bill, like a mobile contract that creates a, or a utility bill if you move out of home, something just to create your file. And as long as you've got a file, then that's okay. You don't have to take out debt in order for you to get that score. So that's something to keep in mind. But if someone does want to have a credit card, I recommend getting good with money first. What I mean by that is we talked about managing money. If you're borrowing money from anywhere because you can't afford to cover your expenses between this paycheck and the next one, a credit card is not going to help you with that. Better not get one. But yeah. if you're always ahead and you've got savings put aside, a credit card can make it easier for you just to manage a lot of different direct debits and whatever. And then you can clear the, as long as you clear the balance in full every month and some banks will make you fill out a form to do that. Some will look, do it through NetBank, some you have to call up because they don't want you to clear it in full. They want you to carry the balance and pay interest rate uh, interest on it. Right? So that's when I would say it's worth it. And in terms of a, uh, a limit, me personally, I'll just go to the minimum, which is six grand, which gives me reward points. Right, whereas some people can go lower, but if it's not giving you reward points, all it is is just temptation to use money you don't have, because why else would you use it? So yeah, I think reward enough. points. So, what's your credit score out of? Is it out of a thousand or something? No, I think it goes all the way up to like twelve hundred plus. Okay. So anyone who's over a thousand has got a really good, a really good score. But so I really eight hundred is a good score. Yeah, eight hundred and above. And you can go to a website. There's a couple of them. Credit Savvy. Another one is GetCreditScore.com.au. And it's free. They will probably send you, you know, some marketing emails, but you can keep track of your score. It doesn't actually do a credit check, so it's not imprinting on your file like you're applying for finance. It's just a, a seeker view. It's like just you wanting to see it, and then you can just see what your score is. Yeah. So and I mean, that could also just... help you if you've got something bad. Sometimes people have fallen behind or something like years ago. They moved the dresses and they don't even realize they've got something a negative mark on there. By looking at your score, if it's under six hundred, then you need to get a copy of your report ASAP. Yeah, so I guess it's one of those things. I mean, just unpacking it a little bit further. So it doesn't put any kind of like mark on your record where you can see like someone's checked this. I mean, like, you know how when, if you're applying for loans for like different things from all different people, that actually puts a flag or some kind of tick or mark on your account or something? Yeah, so if you apply for finance, then it's not really a problem. It doesn't affect your score, whether you're approved or declined. Because they don't update it and say this wasn't approved, right? They just show that you've applied. It yeah. only starts to reduce your score if you keep applying elsewhere. And this is really important because some people who come from you know, migrants that come to Australia and, and in their countries, that's how they get finance. They go around to different banks and they try to negotiate their rates and then they apply for loans because a bank is not going to give you an interest rate unless you apply. So sometimes people don't realize that by talking to a banker or checking for rates online that they're actually applying for a loan that leaves a mark on their credit file. And if they do that three, four times in a, in a week or in a month, their score is going to drop significantly. So it's important to not apply for loans. So working with a mortgage broker like myself, I will actually check your file, do an assessment on it. And I used to work for a bank. So I used to do credit assessments on behalf of the bank. So I know what they look for. That's why I can answer a lot of these questions. So I do my assessment first without putting any application forward. So if I need to do a credit check, it doesn't impact the file like uh, the credit file like it's an actual application. It's just to see it. And then I can send a copy to my customers and they can have a look at it as well. 
and doesn't cost them anything. But I only obviously do it sometimes if it's required, but I don't, I don't always do credit checks because sometimes you don't need to do them. Yeah, awesome. I mean, so because there's all these like little like websites where they say like, oh, you know, 24 hour like finance, like they'll let you know in, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours. And then some of them do say does not like put a credit mark, like a mark on your credit score. Is that actually true or is that just like to try and hook you in to actually do it? Well, I haven't seen specifically what you're talking about with the ads, but if you are getting finance, then it is leaving an imprint on your credit file. 100%. What if you're just if applying? So, you- like, you go through like a, a questionnaire that'll sh- like give you a couple of assets and liabilities and what you get paid and what you want to actually, what you're trying to get, how much money you're trying to borrow. Then they come back to you and will give you a call and tell you yes or no or what assets you have and stuff yeah. like that. There are a few of them, these personal loan lenders and short-term business lenders. And they might have a tool initially, which will do like a quick check, which may not be an application. But the next stage to that is for them to actually give you an offer. They'll actually ask you usually to provide bank statements. Yep. And, but they're not going to ask for bank statements where you download them from your net bank. They're actually going to ask you to plug in your credentials using a tool, which is similar to open banking, but it's using another tool. And that just shares all your data to them from that particular bank account. So that is an application in, in itself. Yeah, okay. And that will put it. But in the, in the beginning, we're just getting a quote. It depends on the, on the lender. Some of them will do one application first. Others will just do what's called a seeker. Uh, and you've got to check the fine print. If it says seeker, so S-W-E-K-E-R, then that's not going to impact your credit file. It's no secret that getting finance for a commercial property can be a difficult task. If you're looking for a rockstar mortgage broker to kickstart your financial freedom, well, look no further. My man, Victor Lagos from Lagos Financial has you covered for all of your commercial financing needs. Go to lagosfinancial.com.au. That's L-A-G-O-S financial.com.au for a free consultation to get you on the path to financial freedom today. And so with credit card, just want to go back to that. In terms of like max limit, what would you suggest would be the max limit you should have? The minimum you can actually get? I think it's, you got to base it on one, what's the minimum limit for that particular card? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might want an Amex but an Amex is, uh, you know, 15 grand. But if you're wanting to apply for finance and buy a property, 15 grand will actually hinder you in terms of your borrowing capacity. So you may need to rethink that and get another credit card from another provider that gives you like a lower limit, like five or 6,000. But I think a good rule of thumb would be only have a limit that you can clear with one month's pay. Yeah. So that way you, you can never get into trouble. So as soon as you go 15,000 and above or something like that and you can't clear it, you're going to carry, you can, the temptation's there or something can happen where you can access more money that you can afford to cover and clear and you're going to be paying interest and then you're in a hole basically trying to get out. Back a long time ago when I first got into the property and investing and things like that, there was a lot of talk about offset accounts. So we have offset offset accounts, we have split mortgages and the idea was to have a credit card, you pay your wage or your money into your offset account because you're offsetting your loan and then you pay everything with a credit card and then you clear the credit card every single month. Is that still a good strategy in your mind in you know 2023 or does that really need to be updated because the offset account doesn't really do too much? Yeah, I have heard of that strategy it's actually been promoted a lot from different it does um, get promoted property. a lot yeah yeah it does i personally don't think it's that effective because it's too easy to spend more than you would normally spend so because it all comes down to visibility right we talked about earlier allocating money for certain buckets but if you have a credit card that you put everything on you don't really have visibility of how much you spend for certain things so you sort of focus in on available funds rather than the balance as well. So if you've got a $15,000 card and you've put two grand on it, you still see 18000 available on NetBank. Mm. So in your mind, you're like, oh, I got eighteen grand. I haven't actually spent that much. But if imagine you had a, a two and a half grand limit and you look on it, it says, shit, I've only got 500 left. 
Now all of a sudden you're not thinking the same way about spending because you're like, I'm nearly maxed out here. That's why I think it doesn't work because you end up spending more. And I think I did read an article recently. I don't remember where it was, but it was it was just showing the statistics of how much people actually end up spending more because they have a credit card. Yeah. If they didn't, they'd actually spend a lot less, which makes sense. Even though they think they're managing it well, when you have everything on the card, you can't categorize it the same way. You can't bucket it the same way. Yeah. So it makes more sense to not have it for that. But an offset account can be powerful. So some people do the card thing for bills and then you know it's interest-free money while their money sits in the offset and then automatically once a month it will direct debit from that. It's called a sweep. They'll clear the card in full and that's gone. I'd say that's a good strategy just for maybe your fixed costs. So you know what your bills are, right? Everything that's going to come out, they're fixed. If you have that coming from your credit card, um, then you know that you're using the bank's money, which is interest-free, while your money sits in the offset, saving you on interest, but you're not overspending because you're just spending what you were going to spend anyway, right? Yeah. You're not using it to go for the midnight Macca's run (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it is that you might end up buying a Rolex or whatever. You're not going to be tempted because you made a decision. All your other costs, your discretionary spending or your groceries and all that stuff is being paid from an actual bank account, which you set a limit for per week and only the the bills come out of the credit card. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because we've been doing like this way like for quite a while now, probably at least five, six, seven years or something like that. But I've been looking at it. I'm like, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's really making much of a difference. Like unless you've got a really large portion of your mortgage up against that loan to offset it, it's really not doing that much. So, I mean, we've only got a three and a half, we've only got a three and a half thousand dollar limit on our credit card and we clear it every month and it's never goes close to even using that. But I just not, I'm not seeing the value in it anymore and it just annoys me having a credit card. Mm. So I might be changing that very, very shortly. I think, yeah, just doing the other thing with timely bills and having different accounts for and bucketing your funds that way. I think that's much simpler and not even needing a credit card. And then you I think you just feel freer and you have full visibility of how much you spend that month. Yeah, that's it. So mate, obviously you would suggest that you should close credit cards when you're applying for finance. How long or how far out should you start closing credit cards and you know does sooner that the, have any impact? Yeah. Sooner the better. So depending on if you're carrying a balance or not. So some people actually have credit cards that they just have open but they don't even use them. Mm. They're just there. They might use it occasionally. Oh, I'm going to keep that open if I'm traveling overseas or whatever. But that can reduce your borrowing capacity a lot by having a credit card open, even if you never use it. Because the bank will always look at worst case scenario. How much can you spend up to if you wanted to? And that's the limit. If you don't use the funds, close the card. Like, just doesn't make sense. And if you can reduce the limit to something the lowest possible, do that if you need to keep it open for whatever reason. So sooner the better. If you're carrying a balance... So this is someone who at some point needed to use the funds and hasn't been able to clear it with one paycheck. Then you need to have a way to structure your money so you can pay that debt back faster. And mm. one way to do that is a balance transfer. You say you got one credit card, you're paying say 20% interest on it and you go to another bank and you apply for another credit card to pay out that card. So it's like a consolidation or a refinance, but they call it a balance transfer. So then that a new card provider will pay out the old card but they don't enforce that you close it. That's the problem. So this is where, where people fall into a trap and I've fell for this many years ago. So say you've got a five grand card, you apply for another five grand card, that one pays that one out. Now you go on a 0% interest for say 12 months or two years, whatever the offer is, but you don't close the other card. So now you've got 5,000 available here. So then you go and spend on that card. So now all of a sudden you've got 10 grand worth of debt. So that's where it's not a good strategy if you don't close that card. You need to do that immediately. So as soon as you've Balance transferred, close that other card. Now you've got 5000 owing, 0% interest. You start hammering that debt down. Every time you make a payment, it goes all to the principal. It, there's no interest anymore because you've balance transferred it. But if you kept it at 18% and then you started making the same repayments every week, there'll be interest as well. So it's going to take you longer to pay it off. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. The reason that I like to have the credit card when there's like no balance on it is like the, what if I need $3,500 quickly? Like a buffer, like an emergency. $3,500 is nothing. Like So it's even silly to have that anyway. But the other time that we've had a reasonably large, like I guess it was a credit card, 
was we renovated a kitchen and it was from Ikea. And they were like, okay, well, you can take out a $15,000 credit to pay for this Ikea kitchen. And if you pay it off over three years, you pay absolutely no interest on it. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm pretty good with money. I'm, I'm pretty sure if I just pay it off every month, I would be able to pay it off within the three years. And lo and behold, we stuck to it and they didn't get a dollar off us of interest. And then as soon as we paid it off, like we are shutting this credit card down. We are not having it. And we did it like it was like, if you're diligent and you have the discipline to be able to pay it off all the time, and we were only yep. paying off like probably like three, $400 off a month. And then obviously got yep. less and less or more and more. I can't remember. Yep. But you just have to be diligent with the plan and it worked out great. But I'm sure there are lots of people that had the same like opportunity through Ikea. And I think the company was called Hum possibly that had the offer, but I'm sure there are people that have it and that catches them because it's human nature that if you can get it now, like get it now and you feel like you've got that reward, like you said before, like it's costing your future self and it's just a trap. It's a big trap for people. Yeah. And it actually is costing your future self. Even if you don't pay any interest on it and you manage it like what you did, if you went and applied for a loan to buy a property in that time, it's affected you because now they're going to look at that loan as a commitment and that's yeah. going to reduce your borrowing capacity, even if it was interest-free. Um, so yeah, for sure it does. I get it and it does help, but you're right. Many people have tried that and they get to the end and they haven't actually paid off the full balance and now they're paying a huge amount of interest on it. This has been going on for years with Harvey Norman and all these yeah. you know, different providers. Yeah, GE Money used to do it. Now it's hum. It is a big trap. So get away from the instant gratification think i don't want to steal from my future self i want to actually give to my future self and just wait put money aside you know save for it the old um lay by is actually a good thing because yeah you're wanting to buy something and you're putting money away but you don't get to walk out with it <laughs> yeah buy now pay yeah. later means you walk out with it now but you gotta pay it later so i actually like the old lay by it's better yeah that's it the old lay by i haven't lay by something for a long time <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> Are there any other ways that you would suggest that how to like put yourself better in a bank size? Like what are the other suggestions that we have like consolidating debt or like what do you have for me? Consolidating debt definitely helps. So even hex debt. So a lot of people carrying yeah. hex and they're like, well, I don't, I don't need to pay back my hex. I only pay back when I earn a certain income. But that actually does impact your borrowing quite a lot. So if you can clear that ASAP, or consolidate it into one. If you've already got a property and you've got equity, which a lot of people do because they bought in the last two or three years or before that and they already held that property, they can borrow at say 5% interest or a little bit less than that if it's owner-occupied and they can clear their credit card, they clear the personal loan, clear the car loan, clear the hex and have it all consolidated into one. They can still pay that portion faster. So sometimes the downfall is you're going to spread it out over 30 years compared to say five years on a personal loan or a car loan. But if you split the loan, and sometimes people do this who are smart with money. So say you owe 500 grand on your home loan and you're consolidating 100,000 worth of personal debt. Well, you're going to clear all those other loans, not pay high interest on them, and you're going to improve your borrowing capacity. But now you've got a mortgage of 600,000. So what you do is you keep the 500,000 as your regular home loan that you already owed before and you have a second loan, a loan split for 100 grand. So now you know that 100 grand relates to all your other debts that you consolidated. So when you're making and you're managing your money, you can start to automate and pay back that 100 grand as soon as possible. So still pay the minimum on your 500 grand because you're going to have to pay that anyway, right? But hammer down that that 100 yeah. grand loan. Don't put in your offset, pay it straight to the loan. And another thing that helps is to ask your employer to do it. So they've got sophisticated payroll systems that you can actually just say, can you pay this amount to my normal bank account, but pay this amount into this other account? So you can give them the BSB and account number of that consolidated loan. And then they'll pay that amount straight out of your pay. So you never even see it out of sight, out of mind. And that debt will just get paid every single payday. Right? And you start living yeah. off of what's left and it disappears. So 100 grand, you end up paying four and a half percent on 100 grand over five years or however long it takes you, depending how much you can pay to it, compared to having hex here, car loan there, paying high rates there, and then ultimately you might end up paying the exact figures, but the amount of interest you'd pay back would be significantly less. And that saving can now go towards your home loan. 
because then that 100 yeah. grand will be gone and all of a sudden you've just freed up a whole bunch of cash flow and now it goes to your home loan. You start building that up. So that's how it's like this compounding effect. The more you, you start it, you start to get that compounding effect and then that can help you to build more equity. And then the loan's coming down, value's going up, you got more equity and you can use that to buy you know, yourself a commercial property or an income producing asset. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think people know that like a credit card debt or like the interest on that is like 18, 19, 20%. Like it's through the roof interest. Like it's crazy. And yeah. so when you're looking at debt, should you attack the debt that has the highest interest first? Yeah, for sure. And that's why I mentioned the consolidation or the balance transfer. Because if there is a strategy that you can get that highest interest rate to a lower rate sooner than later and then pay it down, then you're going to be paying off the principal faster. But if you can't do that, for whatever reason, you can't get a balance transfer, you can't consolidate to a lower rate, then yes, just redirect all your extra repayments to that highest interest loan first. And that could also be through your um, employer or a dedicated debt repayment account, right? Because some of them don't accept B as being uh, an account number, they only do BPay. So then you open up like a debt repayment bank account and you automate so you set up an automatic transfer for a set amount to go every single week into that account or every single paycheck. And then from there, you set up a BPay or a direct debit and you pay that straight to the credit card, the highest interest rate. And that will, that will disappear. I did that. Once the debts are gone, you keep up that same amount that you were automating, but now you redirect it to savings or you redirect it to something that you're saving for specifically, whether it's a property or having a baby or going overseas. But at least you can expedite that. When you realize that you all your money is now being put to savings and you don't have any more debt, that's the most liberating feeling. And then the only debt you ever take is leveraged debt where it's income producing and tax deductible, then it's not bad debt, it's good debt. Yeah, awesome. And do you help your clients look through debt and like figure out the best ways to consolidate debt? Yeah, definitely. If there's equity there, I always propose the idea to do that. And if they don't use the credit cards, I always get them to reduce the limits. At the end of the day, most of my customers, they want to build a portfolio. So they need yeah. borrowing capacity and borrowing capacity has has been squeezed because of interest rate rises. So whatever they can do to, to drop that, I'll, I'll help them to do that. Yeah. So if you're up to your eyeballs in, in debt and you don't know what to do, then Victor should be able to help you out, give you a, a solid strategy, you know, and have a time frame. And I'm sure he's, uh, you know, has the accountability to keep you on the right track. So definitely uh, try that out, mate. And it should be good. Yeah, I just want to say one thing is that as a broker, it's great that banks pay me for the commission for introducing business to them. In a weird way, I'm incentivized for people to borrow more because I get paid mm. more, right? So some brokers, I don't know them personally, but I know they exist. They will focus on getting people more debt because they get paid more, right? But for me, it doesn't matter how much debt you get. What matters to me is that you've got the right debt and that you're actually paying down the bad debt. So if you've got lower loan amounts, doesn't matter if my pay is affected by that because I know that I do right by you, you're going to come back to me. You're going to refer your friends and your family. All right, you're going to be my client for life. You know, We build a long-term relationship because I'm doing right by you. But that's also how I think. So I want to help people get to that financial freedom and they're not going to get there by accumulating more and more personal debt. It's just not going to happen. They need to get to a point where they spend much less than they earn and they invest the difference and they use the power of leverage and use other people's money to help them grow their wealth. Yeah, 100%. All right, man. Well, I guess that kind of wraps up the first episode of the Financial Freedom Series. Mate, where can the listeners go to find out more about you and also your awesome services? So they can follow me on pretty much any social platform or you go to my website, which is lagosfinancial.com.au and I have my own podcast called Debt to Financial Freedom. And you'll find me on all the podcasting platforms as well as a YouTube channel. So yeah, and of course from there, if you're wanting to have a chat, there's uh, my email, my mobile number will be there as well as a calendar booking. So if you want to book a chat with me, schedule a call and see what's possible for you. And even if it's not the right time for you to borrow, I'll help you as much as I can to get you on the right track. Awesome, man. And did you have a free giveaway for the listeners as well? Yeah, so I really do believe that commercial property is a way forward because of the predictability of the income, it's going to go up, long-term tenants, and your listeners will know a lot about commercial property, so I don't need to be preaching to the choir. But a lot of people don't understand the benefits of commercial versus residential, so I've created a guide 
which is what I believe are five benefits of commercial versus residential. So, yep, I'm giving that away. Listeners can download that. There'll be a link, I'm guessing, in your description. You can put that in there. Um, They'll be able to just provide their email and I'll get that sent out to them. And we're also going to put together a how-to-use guide for the Timely Build app. Best and worst ways to use the app. A lot of the best ways, I'm sure. And Victor's going to... Uh, I'm literally just springing this on him now. He has. He did not know about this at all. Um, so, <laughs> Give me some uh, homework to do. a second free giveaway. I'm going to download the app uh, right now and I'm looking forward to uh, Victor's how-to-use to guide as well that he'll be, I'm sure, making at some point. Not because yeah, he but. wants to, because I basically put him on the spot. <laughs> Look, if it helps people, I'll definitely put it for And I know it's helped me, so for sure I'm yeah. going help, to help us make it as easy as possible. Yeah, Awesome, man. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. All right. This has been financial expert Victor Lagos and Andrew Bean on the Financial Freedom Series. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Financial Freedom Series. This show has been produced by the Commercial Property Show Network. Mm-hmm.